You're listening to Senior Rx Radio, brought to you by ASCP. Visit us online at ascp.com/podcasts. ASCP: Empowering Pharmacists, Transforming Aging. Hello and welcome to Senior Rx Radio. I am Dr. Jaron Stout and I am Dr. Joanne Pio. We are your hosts of Senior Rx Radio. Today's guest is Dr. Diana Quach. Manager of Clinical Services at Optum Care and a member of the Board of Directors at American Society of Consultant Pharmacists. Thank you for joining us on today's show, Diana. Thank you so much for having me. So, Diana, I, I, I've known you for a while, but I still uh, I try to do this for everyone that we have on the show. I took a little bit of time. You probably noticed yesterday on your LinkedIn that, that I viewed your profile because I was stalking you a little bit on social media. So <laughs> so I was just looking at your background. I noticed you did your undergrad at the University of Kentucky, which I did not know. Is that Are you from Kentucky originally? Yeah, you know, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. I spent a few years there and went to University of Kentucky for pre-pharmacy and then migrated back out west to Las Vegas. And I attended University of Southern Nevada, which is now Roseman University, and did my doctorate program there. Okay. So even though you ventured out of Louisville, Kentucky, you still did a stint at uh, Pharmerica, which is based out of Louisville, right? Yes, I did. Yeah, you definitely did do your homework. Thanks for stalking me. Yeah. <laughs> My time at Farmerica was pretty great, mostly just in operations. I did a little bit of assisted living and group home consulting while I was there, but definitely made my home at Optum Care, which is where I am now and have been for the last 10 years. Okay. And I know that you told me earlier that you've never been on a podcast, but when I'm looking at your your history, it looks like it's long overdue. So I don't think you're the bragging type, but I'm going to try and do some for you here. I knew that you won one award a few months ago, but then I did some digging. It looks like you won an award before that as well. So you've won two awards. One of them was Pharmacist of the Year from the Nevada Health System Pharmacists Association. So that that was awesome. And the other one, the 2019 Bowl of, how do you say, Hygieia? Bowl of Hygieia Award. Yes, I won that a few months ago. Um, Definitely one of the highlights of my career. And um, yes, I'm blushing a little bit over here. I'm glad I'm not on video. <laughs> but yes, I, I definitely I love the profession of pharmacy. I give my all to this profession. And you know, I just really want to see it move forward. Agreed. Agreed. And you're doing a great job of that. Thank you. And you also participated in two publications. So so you're quite decorated already. So what what is the Hygieia Award? And how did what led up to you getting these awards? I did my residency right out of school at ASCP. I was their executive resident in association management. And that really gave me a love for organizations. So when I got back to Las Vegas after my residency, I helped to start restart the state association chapter in Nevada because we didn't have that. So my my love for associations and my love for pharmacy kind of melded. And I think that, you know, the Pharmacist of the Year Award, certainly way back, I think that was in 2011, I want to say, was due to a lot of, I believe, the work that I did for the state of Nevada. And the Bowl of Hygieia is a state award that's given to one participant of the state each year in every state. And that one was definitely a surprise, but I think it was due to the contributions that I had made to to the profession of pharmacy in the state of Nevada. Very awesome. So 
And just for those listeners who have never met you and don't know you, it's pretty surprising that you've been practicing for 15 years because you look like you're like 22, like you're just a new grad. (laughs) So you're very decorated for, for what you've accomplished in a short period. So very awesome. We're glad to have you here. Thank you. So I'm so glad that Jaren said it because I was like, should I be the one who says the 15 year mark? But you've done a lot in 15 years. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, you know, you just do what you do. You keep going. And, you know, in between it, I had a couple kids, you know, got married, you know, life, work life balance and everything. And I think I'm just really lucky right now, especially in this time with COVID and everything that's going on um, with the country to just be in a position that I can continue to work and move forward and really just take good quality care of our patients. Yeah. And then right now in your current role, you're with Optum Care. Can you explain your role there? Sure. Yeah. So I have, like I mentioned, I have been with Optum for 10 years, just had my anniversary a little bit ago. And I have the privilege of managing the clinical team within the pharmacy. And our pharmacy is pretty big. We have, you know, an operational side where we do, you know, traditional nursing home fulfillment. We do home infusion. We do enterals. We do hospice. And I manage the clinical side. So I run two departments. The first department is a traditional consulting side where I'm sure a lot of the listeners are aware of nursing home consulting. So we have that. We also do consulting in surgery centers, urgent cares, and a radiology center that's affiliated with Optum Care here in Las Vegas. That's one arm of the clinical team. And the second arm, which has grown tremendously since probably around 2016, 2017, is our transition of care program. And that one I am very proud of, partially because we started it from a pilot and now it is into a full-fledged growing program. We're in nursing facilities. Uh, We've recently started hospital to home. So it's a very robust program, but I'm, I'm sure hopefully we'll be able to talk about it a little bit more on this podcast. Yeah, let's do that. With the transition of care program, it seems that there is a place for pharmacists to just really shine as healthcare providers. Yeah. And, and I think that's what that's what's really started it. I think the the understanding of a pharmacist involved in a healthcare team was always very interesting and exciting to me. And I noted in Optum, they didn't have pharmacists necessarily involved as intricately as I thought they could be. We also were seeing a climb in our readmission rates, specifically in the skilled nursing setting. So they said, hey, let's start a pilot. Diana, you want to lead it? And like you know, I, I have a hard time saying no, as you can probably tell. But of course, I said yes. And um, we started a program at one nursing facility. And now we are at eight nursing facilities. We're fully embedded in collaborating with the healthcare team. So we engage with the case management team, the providers, the SNF providers, as well as the facility administration and nursing staff to really take care of the patients during their transitions into the nursing home and then also when they leave. So what we do is we have a team of technicians and pharmacists 
that are notified of when a patient comes into one of our facilities. Whenever we're notified, a technician will actually go into the patient's room. Well, not now due to COVID, but we were going into the patient's room and they were conducting a patient interview. So they're asking them, what's in your cabinet at home? How frequently are you taking your PRN meds? And we're taking all of that rich information we get from the patient and giving it to the pharmacist. And the pharmacist has access, because we're a part of Optum, we have access to a lot more information than maybe a traditional transition to care pharmacist would have. So we have access to pharmacy claims information. We're able to look at the facility EHR. We look at the HMP and discharge summary. And awesomely, we have access to the PCP EHR, which is a big piece of the the transition gap in closing that. So once the pharmacist does their full review, looking at all those documents, including that patient interview, we coordinate with the provider and give them our interventions and the provider responds and we track and trend those. And that, that occurs usually within one to three business days of when they're actually admitted to the nursing facility. So when they discharge from the facility, we also do a different piece. Our technicians attend weekly IDT meetings. So during those IDT meetings, they mostly focus on discharge planning. So the techs will come back and say, okay, these five patients are discharging tomorrow. We'll work with the SNF providers to get copies of those discharge prescriptions. And we'll look at the pharmacists. We'll look at formulary or cost issues. They'll make sure that those prescriptions are complete if you know there may be gaps if they go to their community pharmacy to pick it up. We'll coordinate with the provider if there's any interventions or prior authorization processes that need to start. And we will develop a medication list for the patient to be given at discharge. And depending on if they're on high-risk meds, we may also counsel that patient before they go home to make sure that they understand what meds they really should be on, what meds they should stop, what meds they should follow up with their doctor on. And because we're so integrated within the PCPs, luckily, we're also able to update the PCP EHR. So when they go to their follow-up appointment, the PCPs understand what medications the SNF provider wanted them to go home on and can communicate appropriately to the patients. So all in all, it's a very robust program. Um, There's a lot of integration there, but we're really proud of the outcomes that we have, have seen so far. And then what are some of the outcomes that you have seen so far? You know, it's a good question. You know, I'm a, I'm a data girl. I always say that. I love data. And when I started researching different types of transition programs, when we were looking at starting this, I noticed that there were only pockets of data everywhere. So I thought to myself, what kind of data do we want to look at, right? So we currently track how many interventions we find per patient. So right now we're averaging about three interventions per patient. We also look at how many of those interventions are high risk. So there's a little bit of subjectivity with a high risk intervention. The pharmacist will say, okay, if it's a, if it's on the ISMP list of high alert meds, like an anticoag or an, an antibiotic, they'll flag it as a high risk intervention. And there's usually about 10 to 15% of the interventions we see are high risk. We also look at provider disposition. So just like, you know, in nursing home consulting where we say, did the doctor agree with what we were doing or did they disagree? We track that as well. And we have about a 75% on average 
approval or approval with modification rating from our providers, which we are very proud of. We've done a lot of education with the providers to make sure that they understand the importance of that. And then lastly, we look at our RTA data. So our return to acute data, how many of our patients are going back into the hospital within 30 days of their discharge from the SNF. And overall, and this is a very broad range, this is over about a year time, when you're looking at comparing the when a pharmacist is involved, when a pharmacist is not involved, it's an average of a 27% reduction in comparison. So it is quite a big difference when a pharmacist is involved in the healthcare team based on our data that we've seen so far. Very interesting. So just in case you weren't aware, it just so happens that pharmacists are not providers. So what kind of difficulty have you had balancing the cost of paying a pharmacist for their time without getting reimbursed for it? Has there been a lot of difficulty with that? That's a really good question. I mean, I'm really lucky to work for Optum. You know, it's it's kind of, we all work towards the greater goal of really reducing these readmissions. But like any program, you have to track your return on investment. So we do have to look at, you know, what is the labor cost of our pharmacists per encounter that we do? We also have a methodology that we've developed that's what we call our encounter savings matrix. So essentially, it attributes a dollar amount for a type of intervention and a risk of intervention. So for example, if a normal hospitalization would cost between twelve dollars to $14,000, and you found a high-risk intervention like a patient didn't, they didn't continue their eloquence from the hospital to the facility. It was inadvertently missed. They were not appropriately anticoagulated, okay? And that patient had a clot. How many of those interventions did we catch and were approved by the doctor or approved with some kind of modification? So there's a lot of subjectivity when it comes to calculating our return on investment naturally, but overall, that has proven our worth within the company to show the pharmacist's involvement along with our return to acute percentage information. Well, I don't think I'm only speaking on my behalf when I say that that doesn't surprise me at all. So that's awesome that you're able to show that and quantify that. Now, I was not aware that you guys had access to the PCP database as well. And that's, that's a huge component that will make a big difference. So I just wanted to kind of show you like one of the, so I get emails, I've had a couple of different facilities that I consult for approach me and say, hey, I get routine emails from pharmacists at Optum and I don't speak pharmacists. So can you handle the emails that come in for me, right? And it, I think it's been great to have a pharmacist interaction with the stuff that we find because I, I have found a lot of times that sometimes there are recommendations that get refused strictly because they don't understand the perspective we're coming from. And so I'm, that's made a big difference in how I approach my recommendations as I've gotten more experience. But one situation, I got an email from one of your pharmacists that had nine issues that needed to be addressed from overlooked medications from their home regimen to inappropriate anticoagulation. And it was all on one patient. And I spent a good couple of hours working with the prescribers and with the facility to get all of them cleared up. It went from just missing their omeprazole and their famotidine to just 
completely missing their uh, level thyroxine dose and increasing it when it was not supposed to be increased. Their vitamin D sterile was missing. Their statin was missing. Their sliding scale was missing. Mm -hmm. And uh, also their air nest was overlooked as well. So there were several fairly critical medication omissions that had been taking place in a transition of care that your team was able to catch. And there's no way I could have caught that as just a consultant without their their home regimen or access to their their uh, PCP information. So that that is an, an amazing program, and I'm glad to see that you've been able to show its value. So with increased pharmacist involvement and expansion of our profession, we have technicians that are there with us as well. So as we progress and expand, I think their roles should also progress and expand to allow us to do that. So what do you do with your techs to kind of help them expand their profession as well as ours? I think that's a great, a great thought. And, you know, when we were looking at leveraging pharmacists to the top of their license, our first thought was really, what can a technician do? So, you know, obviously you have to look at scope and you have to look at your state regs and you have to see what those are. But what we utilize our technicians for are for a few things. So both on the consulting side and also on the transitions of care side. So on the transition of care side, as I had mentioned, they do attend the weekly IDT meetings. And, you know, at first the pharmacists were attending it. And what we were noticing is most of it focused on discharge planning. So what is their functional status? How many stairs do they have at home? And rarely would we get clinical questions kind of thrown at us. So what we decided to do is have the technicians involved in IDT. So it required a little bit of education and confidence for those technicians to get comfortable in that environment and know the language and the lingo of what everybody was saying. So that's been really exciting for them. Also, you know, they do, they're the the intermediary. When we were in the facilities, they've since moved us out. So we're doing everything telephonically for now due to COVID. But when we were in the facilities, they really served as the middleman between the provider, the pharmacist, the case manager. They would help us look up, you know, formularies online. They would help us get action plans back to us and put them into our system that we use. So a lot of that has allowed the pharmacist to really focus on their clinical skills and given the technician a little bit of a different task and more of a, I feel like, more of a career path of a different type of way to be a technician versus I'm going to fill a stock bottle. Nothing wrong with that. But I do think that there's a lot of value in seeing expanded roles in techs. On the consulting side, we've always utilized technicians from an auditing perspective. So we have our technicians are trained. They're also able to go in and do a med pass competency for a nurse. We have them do audits on narcotic control substance, chain of custody. So at Optum, we use our technicians very, they're very high functioning. We have a great group of technicians. And I think what's good about it too is, you know, we have leaders within our technicians that can ask, hey, can technicians do this? Or, hey, can we try this? And I think that's really opened a lot of doors and opportunities for them. Absolutely. that That's awesome. That's great to hear. And so with the expansion of your technicians and the, the data that you've uh, gathered and, and collected, So kind of a dual question here. First of all, I think you are involved in the Quality Impact Project, are you not? I am, yes. Okay. 
So I assume you're going to be bringing a lot of that data that is very useful to show the value of the pharmacist in uh, more expanded roles. And also, hopefully, that could, uh, you know, pave the path to getting us to a provider status where we can bill for our time. I certainly hope so. And, you know, that is that is the goal. I think the more the more that pharmacists can all come together and share their data in a readily accessible way, the more that our, you know, sister communities and health systems are going to understand the impact that we can make on our patients and not alone, but with the healthcare team. And I think a lot of that has to come through data. So the quality impact project is a great way to share that data and to make sure that we are continuing to move the profession forward. Very good. When you were talking about the technicians and expanding the roles of technicians as we're trying to expand the roles of pharmacists, there are some chain of pharmacies who have been trying to expand the role of technicians so that they could have less pharmacists on staff. What is your thought on that? Like where some people are scared of having expanded roles for technicians because that may lower the need for pharmacists. That's a very tricky question. I would say it it depends. If they're very clear, because we had this issue in Nevada at our board of pharmacy, they wanted to increase our tech ratio up to, I believe, 10 to 1 was one of the discussions. And right now it's 3 to 1. And I think I understand where pharmacists are coming from, where they don't want their role to be taken away from technicians. But I think we need to change the script. And I think we really need to think about, are pharmacists really practicing at the top of their license? Are they really taking the time to do those clinical interventions and those deep dives into those medication profiles and really getting to the meat of what we went to school for. And if the answer is yes, and they're happy with the ratio, great. But if the answer is, hey, I can use a technician to do some of this work for me so I can focus on that, I think that that's great too. Absolutely. I I couldn't agree more. I think by delegating more menial tasks that we're currently required to do to pharmacy technicians, opens up the door for us to have more time available to actually research their current regimen and resolve issues and call physicians prepared with ways to resolve any issues that we find rather than just passing the buck and saying, here's what I found, fix it, call me when you when you figure it out. And also giving us, hopefully down the road, more leeway to just you know know mm-hmm. what is appropriate times to call the physician and what is not capsules versus tablets, AB ratings that are antiquated and inappropriate, silly things like that that really waste our time and make us look incompetent when we call a physician. But uh, I, I could not agree more. This will get me going on a soapbox if I'm not careful. So, <laughs> well, and I think I think to that point, you know, all technicians are not created equal. Right. It has to be. We notice this with our transition to care program. You need the right technician, and you need the technicians that are willing to to learn and grow and collaborate. I mean, even when we're looking at training a technician to do a patient interview, you know. A lot of technicians start in retail pharmacy, right? So communicating is is a big thing and understanding that there may be vision issues or hearing issues or comfort levels, building trust with patients. And I think we learn those kind of things in pharmacy school and technicians may not learn that as readily in their trade schools. So 
I do think that, you know, you need the right tech and you also need the right trainee or trainer to be able to identify, you know, what a good technician or what good technician skills are. Absolutely. And it's interesting that you said they attended IDT because I tried to pilot a transitional care program with a medical group. And I attended a lot of meetings with this group. And I think it functioned a lot like an IDT. We're talking about stairs and and functional status. Mm -hmm. And yet, in in hindsight, yeah, it would have worked really well if I could have a tech go to that and take notes and give me some of the the clinical info that I needed from it. But uh, it's been awesome to to hear what you're working on and the, the progress you've been able to make for our profession. It's been a real pleasure talking with you today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh my goodness. Thank you guys so much, Joanne and Jaren. I really appreciate the opportunity and the time to speak with you today and just stay safe out there. You as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. You're listening to Senior Rx Radio, brought to you by ASCP. Visit us online at ASCP.com slash podcasts. ASCP, empowering pharmacists, transforming aging.